we had a board meeting. I said, hey, we got we to gotta give this guy $5,000 to do a church plant uh, in Macedonia. The board said, hey, fine, no problem. Uh, we've had an incredible year in missions. I was just thinking about the $5,000 we gave to Indonesia to do a church plant, the 40000 we sent over to refugees help to Poland with coming out of Ukraine. Um, man, the $10,000 to a missionary to, to have solar panels put on his house in a very uh, strategic area that I can't even announce because, you know, missionaries aren't allowed there. Um, we gave 5000 to train missionaries in Iran. We gave $25,000 to a church plant down in Pleasantville. I mean, it just, it's, it's incredible what you guys are doing for the cause of missions. And I thank you. Well, this is the week of Thanksgiving, and some of you know, some of you might not know, that Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. I, I, I like Christmas, I like Easter, but Thanksgiving to me, I think because of pleasant childhood memories, um, I, I, I just love Thanksgiving. And I trust that you will all have a blessed Thanksgiving. On Wednesday, we are having a Thanksgiving Eve service. Uh, Part of the Thanksgiving Eve service will allow you the opportunity to read from your Thanksgiving journal. You all got a Thanksgiving journal. And uh, what we're going to do is, in part of the service, we're just going to ask you if you want to read from your Thanksgiving journal. In order to read from your Thanksgiving journal, guess what you have to bring? Your Thanksgiving journal. So don't just get up and start going off at the top of your You open up your... No ticky, no laundry. No Thanksgiving journal, no sharing. (laughs) And we just want you to share what you wrote someday of what you were thankful for. And we're just going to let this be a place of Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving Eve. So we're real excited about that. And on Thanksgiving Eve... We have a gift for every one of you. If supplies last, we'll have enough for next week as well. But we did a project this year on Thanksgiving Eve. Those who come will get a 25-day, $25. I saw some of you like this. <laughs> You're going to get a 25-day devotional. Uh, we put together from our church a devotional starting on December 1st leading up to Christmas on December 25th, and it's written, each devotional is written by someone different in the church, so that as a church, you're going to receive a devotional that everybody can read up to Thanksgiving of a devotional that someone wrote in the church. Uh, It's being printed up as we speak. We should have it for Wednesday night, and then we'll give them out next uh, uh, Sunday as well. Um, Today, we are concluding this series, this, minute, this sermon series on the three thieves of Thanksgiving. And over the past few weeks, we have taken a look at certain behaviors that steal our joy as well as our ability to be a thankful person. We took a look at comparison and how that can be a doorway that leads to envy and jealousy. And listen, if you don't deal with envy and jealousy, you know, if you don't deal with it in a good way, watch out because it can 
fill you, as we're going to see today, with bitterness and anger. Anybody know of a bitter person? Yeah, I'm sure we all know of someone who just walks around with a sour puss on their face all the time, who is just so hurt. Today, we're going to take a look at bitterness. Um, the, the slide presentation is not from the beginning. There you go. No, you got to go back. Go back. You're stealing my thunder. That's the, that's the, there we go. Thank you. I have a cheat screen on the top here. Thanks guys in the back. Appreciate you. Pastor, Pastor Matt, appreciate you. Pastor Paul, I don't know if I ever have time enough to say thank you so much for what you do with our young people. You are a awesome youth pastor. So, did you know that the Bible describes bitterness as a root? It describes bitterness as a root. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, but speaking of the book of Hebrews, did, was anybody aware of the controversy the book of Hebrews had this week on life? Yeah, how many, how, I, I was... Thank God I was in Bible study on Wednesday night because if I were home, I probably would have felt like throwing the remote at the TV. And you're like, what's going on? The Tournament of Champions, Jeopardy, Final Jeopardy. The category was New Testament. And the answer was Paul's letter to them is the New Testament epistle with the most Old Testament quotes. Come on. And Sam on the right put the book of Romans, which has, I think, 76 references to in the Old Testament. Andrew in the middle put the Philippians. Well, yeah, he, my favorite book, but wrong answer. Amy put the Hebrews. And they counted Sam's answer is wrong and Amy's answer is correct. The Hebrews. Did Paul write the book of Hebrews? We don't know. But they just assumed Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Gave her the correct answer, which eliminated Sam. He, he would have won. But I, I, I was like, I, the next day I started going online. And, and there's people asking for the firing of the writers because of such a controversy. How can you come up with such a question when it's not really known who wrote the book of Hebrews? Anyway, Hebrews, here we go. Like you needed to know all that. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows to cause trouble and defies many. Now, when we talk about the grace of God, what are we talking about? His forgiveness. Don't miss out on God's grace. Don't miss out on forgiveness, my friends. And as he has forgiven you, you should forgive others. Don't miss out on the grace of God. Because if you miss out on forgiving others, you become bitter. And it causes trouble. 
And that bitterness spreads to others and it, it, it defies many. All right. How many know what this is? You know what these are? What are they? Cow pod? In English. <laughs> no, I had one person in the early service who knew what these were. Asian bitter melons. Who got it back there? You got it, Asian. Have you ever had them before? Well, Pastor Bonnie is blessed with a neighbor who grows these. And blesses her and Joe and her family with a plethora of them. Here, here's some bitter melons. And Bonnie's like, what do you do with bitter melons? So Pastor Bonnie, knowing that I was preaching on bitterness... Tuesday, she comes in the office and she says, Dad, you, you got to taste this soup. She makes bitter melon soup. And just when she says, you got to taste this bitter melon soup, I'm like already formulating what it's going to taste like. I go, what's in it? She goes, well, bitter melon. And then there's ground pork. There's garlic. But Dad, not just a clove, a whole bulb of garlic. Fish sauce, oyster sauce, soy sauce, chicken broth. Now, what? Are those four ingredients are what? All salty. Now, here's a spiritual principle. It's a sermon in itself. You need that much salt to diminish the bitterness. Ah, think about that. Chicken broth, scallions, and cilantros. So I'm getting ready to taste it, just thinking, get ready for this bitter taste. I taste it, and the savior of all these flavors melded together was pleasant. It was awesome. It was like, and I'm just eating and eating, and then all of a sudden I stop eating, and there's a hint of bitterness in the aftertaste. It was, it was almost pleasant. It was really cool. And I started to think how many times. Do people try to bury? Do people try to cover up the hurts and the pains in our lives? Thinking we can bury and cover them. But there's always an aftertaste of the hurt and the pain. We harbor unforgiveness, resentment. And we try to bury those feelings. But then we wonder why we can never live that victorious life. We wonder why we can't get along with other people. We wonder why we're not happy in life. In other words, we have that bitterness inside. And it's going to end up contaminating everything that comes out of us. It will contaminate our personality. It will contaminate our attitudes. It will contaminate how we treat others. And we always wonder why when we leave, there's always that bitter taste. And I'm sure that you've been around people before that when they've left you, there's that little aftertaste of of bitterness because they haven't solved issues in their life. Well, I want you to know a bitter root will always produce a bitter fruit. Now, this is not an easy sermon today, but it's something I believe we all need to hear 
because we don't want anything to rob us of becoming a thankful person. The ability to be a thankful person. Well, guess what? I get to do my favorite thing. Before a holiday, my favorite thing to do is to set the table. Because before you partake, you have to prepare. I love setting the table for a holiday. Let me set the table of where we're going today. We're in the book of Esther. Old Testament book, Esther. Now let me just give you, let me, let me just prepare you, let me set the table for the context. When Jerusalem was destroyed and the people were taken into, Jews were taken into captivity, we read about how Esther was a young girl who was taken into captivity. But both her mother and her father were dead. And basically she would raise, some say her cousin, some say her uncle, Mordecai, was also taken captive into Babylon. Now, it was a particular time in Babylon where the king had a banquet, drank too much wine, called the queen in. The queen didn't want to come in, Queen Vesti, and she didn't come in. And because of her disobedience to the king, she was exiled. Now, the king is left without a queen. So what do they do? They hold basically a beauty pageant so the king can find a new queen and guess who was part of that beauty pageant Esther for such a time as this as this was going on Mordecai found favor with the king and became one of the king's officials and as Mordecai was a gate guard he heard rumors about a plot to kill the king. Kind of interesting. And this is where we pick up our scripture today. Could you stand for the reading of God's word? Just change your position for a moment. Esther chapter 2, starting with verse 31. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana, Bigthana, that's a good gate. Bigthana. Sounds like a name from the WWF, doesn't it? Bigthana is going up against uh, uh, Andre the Giant. Men, mark your calendars. January 14th, Saturday morning, January 14th. We are going to have an ex-WWF wrestler, pro wrestler. I believe his name was what? So Blast, Dave? Blast. You like how I'm fitting this in, don't you? Blast is going to come. He is an evangelist from out in, down in Texas. He's going to be in the area, and he's going to do a men's breakfast for us. Uh, Carmine uh, Azado Azado will be, will be with us, uh, a federal pro wrestler. I'll just fit that in. And Tresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. When the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were hanged on a gallows. 
All of this was recorded in the book of the annuals in the presence of the king. Now, you, you need to put that way back in your memory bank because we're going to come back to that. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's tables knelt down and paid honor to Haman. For the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down and pay him honor. When the royal, royal officers at the king's gates asked Mordecai, Why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated. For he had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down and pay him honor, he was enraged. You may be seated. Bitterness can be said, it's a bad outlook because of past circumstances. A bad outlook, a sour taste because of a past circumstance. An outlook that affects you this way. Someone hurts you, therefore you're just going to hurt others. And we see this today in the life of Haman, a very bitter man who lashed out against anyone who slighted him. And what we need to do is take a look at Haman's bitterness. What made Haman so bitter? Well, we just got to do a little history for you. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agaite. Well, what is an Agaite? An Agaite is synonymous with the Amalekites. And I'll show you how the two are similar. When we say the Amalekites, a lot of us are familiar with the Amalekites because when Israel went up against the Amalekites, it was that battle that did King Saul in. Remember when the Israelites were going to go face the Amalekites? This is what the Lord Almighty said to King Saul. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them, when they blindsided them, when they, 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 they ambushed them as they came out from Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. Wow, that's, that's pretty drastic. For the Lord to tell King Saul to alienate all the Amalekites. But if you know your Bible history, when the war, when the battle was over, we read, but King Saul. Are we having computer problems? But King Saul. Just waiting a moment. 
But King Saul and the army spared Agag. Agag was the king. They spared him. And a result of sparing Agag, the king, now you have descendants of Agag who become Agonites. Agonites. Agagites. There it is. Agagites. So they are synonymous with the Amalekites. Along with that, they spared sheep, cattle, calves, and everything that was good. And some commentators will say everything was good. That meant the royal women in that kingdom. Now, where in the world did the Amalekites come from? What's their history? Amalek was the son of Eliphaz. Eliphaz was the son of Esau. You mean Esau and Jacob, the two brothers that fought over their birthright? Yep, some things keep lingering and lingering and lingering. So you have that fight between Jacob and Esau, now all the way transpiring to Haman, mad with the Israelites. Because basically, they wiped out his ancestors. And for years and years, this hatred was still there. And come on, in the world we live in today, aren't there still hatreds today because what was done years past? Now you understand better the root of Haman's bitterness towards the Israelites, towards the Jews. And just the very mention of the name. Sometimes there have been hurts in the past. Things that people have done to us and just the very mention of that person's name, it, it, it kind of like, put your numbing. It, it's like, remember when you were parents and you, you were having your first child and you were trying to decide a name? I remember constantly, Heather and I would go over names. No, we don't want to name the kid that. But I like that name, but I don't. Well, why don't you like that name? Because there was a kid in kindergarten by that name. And, you know, I just don't want to go through life calling my child that name, thinking about that kid in kindergarten that gave me a hard time. There are name associations. Can you click to the next one, Jeff? Thank you. So Haman decides that he, when he saw Mordecai, would not kneel down and pay honor to him. He was enraged. 
Yet, having learned who Mordecai's peoples were, he scorned the idea of only killing Mordecai. He just didn't want Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. He just didn't want Mordecai for not kneeling down. He wanted Mordecai and all his people. And boy, doesn't history have a way of repeating itself. But God has always spared his chosen people, hasn't he? Well, as Haman was trying to figure a way to fulfill this plot of destroying the Jews. Fast forward a couple chapters to chapter 6. There's a night when the king couldn't sleep. He's just restless. So he ordered the books of Chronicles, the records of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. Think about that. Are you, are you getting it? Let me tell you what that would be like. And, and all of a sudden, I'm really excited because tomorrow, I'm going to take 26 years of board meeting minutes, take them home, and some night when I can't sleep, I'm just going to ask Heather, could you start reading some of these board minutes to me? I mean, that's basically what it's like. And as these records are being read, all of a sudden the king realized, hey, when Mordecai revealed to me the plot to assassinate me, I never honored him. I need to show honor for his loyalty to the king and and all of a sudden, the king basically says, what, what royal officials in the court? What royal official in the court? Haman is there. Haman comes to the bedside of the king. And the king asks Haman, I need to show honor to a man for his service to me. How do you think I should go about it? Haman, who is the top official, who's blinded by his bitterness, his ego, and his pride, thinks the king is talking about him, where he's going to get a chance to, to plan his own celebration. That's basically how it is. And Haman says, hmm, this is what I think you should do, king. I, should, I, I think that you should put one of your robes on him that you wear. And I think you should put him on a horse. And I think you should put a lot of your officials around him. And I think you should parade him through this city, letting all the people know what a great value he is to you. And Haman's kind of like, bring it on, brother. And at once the king commanded Haman, Get the robe, the horse, and do just as you had suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. Can you imagine Haman's rage? What? Mordecai? I thought you were talking about me. Haman goes home, talks to his advisors, 
talks to his wife and they say, there's no way you can fulfill your plot because the king will destroy you. About that time, a servant comes, invites Haman to the king's banquet. The king's at the banquet honoring his queen, Esther. And this is the second time the king says, hey, what's your petition? I'll give you anything you want, Esther. Just I'll give you as much as half of my kingdom. Just give me your petition. What is it that you want? And it was at that time, for such a time as this, Queen Esther said, King, I want you to spare me of my life and the life of my people. For there is a plot to assassinate me and all of my people. And I ask for your protection that this plan will not be fulfilled. And the king is outraged. Who is this? Who's planning such a plot? And Queen Esther says, Haman. The king is furious. He walks out of the banquet hall into the palace gardens. Now, if you were Haman, what would you be doing? Please, Esther. Esther, no. I didn't really mean Esther. Esther, I couldn't. And as he's pleading, the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall. Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. And the king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's head. And you know the rest of the story. The very gallows that Haman built for Mordecai. The very place Haman built where he was going to assassinate Mordecai. He was hung himself on those gallows he built. And you know what the moral of the story is? Folks, if you don't deal with your hurt, if you don't deal with your pain, if you don't deal with unforgiveness, you'll be hung on the gallows that you prepared for yourself. Jesus was very clear, descriptive, very plain when he said these words. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, and if we call ourselves Christians, we need to heed these words of Jesus. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men of their sins, your heavenly Father, your Father will not forgive your sins. Holding on to your hate, holding on to your anger, holding on to resentment, filling your life with bitterness, 
You're only empowering the one who hurt you. You're only giving the devil a foothold to mess up your soul and your entire life. You're really only plunging the knife in your own heart, killing any chances of God blessing you. Bitterness, bitterness, my friends, is a death sentence. So, Pastor, what's the answer? The reason I believe the Bible disguises bitterness as a root, because that bitterness has a root, and it's called unforgiveness. And I'm telling you, I have seen more people who are bitter, who are angry, constant complainers, constant criticizing. Nothing is ever good. Nothing is ever right. They're never happy because they have resentment and hurt and pain that they have never dealt with. And they think they can always cover up and bury it. But there's always an aftertaste of bitterness when you leave their presence. So what's the answer? You got to forgive. You got to forgive those who have hurt you. But you don't know what they've done. You got to forgive. But it doesn't, you got to forgive. Don't be held prisoner. Don't be held captive in unforgiveness. And let me tell you, there are some situations where, yes, It is humanly impossible to forgive, but never eliminate the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, who can give you the freedom to forgive, who can give you God's love so that you can forgive. So God will fill you with his love that you can wish them well. You don't have to be their best friend, but you can wish them well. That's how you know that you have totally forgiven. How do you know you've forgiven someone? When you can wish them well. And I'm telling you, there's some situations that it's only the power of the Holy Spirit to give you the strength to forgive. And then secondly, if that's not hard, then you got to forgive yourself for whatever part you had in it. And usually that's the tough one. But I'm telling you, I'm sure there's not one here who hasn't experienced a hurt or a pain that has caused you hardship, bitterness, and anger at times. And I'm sure there's many of you who know the freedom of releasing that pain and hurt, which allows you to be a thankful person today. Pastor Bonnie, you can come. I've kind of wondered why people hold on to bitterness and hurt and pain so much. It's because they can't receive God's forgiveness. Remember the words of Jesus as he died on the cross? Father, forgive them for they what? For they do not know what they're doing. How about Stephen as he was being stoned to death? 
Father, lay not this sin upon them. Would you stand? I trust that on Thursday as you sit around the Thanksgiving table, there would not be anything that would steal or rob you from being a thankful person. So therefore, I'm going to give you the opportunity now. Whatever the pain, whatever the hurt, whatever the unforgiveness, I'm going to give you the opportunity to lay it on the altar this morning.